Good evening. Well, perhaps the Omicron variant is convenient for the Prime Minister, who has had simply the most catastrophic day, a dismal performance in the House of Commons, increasing sense of mutiny amongst many on his back benches. Um, some snap opinion polling suggesting from comrades that 54% of the country now think he should resign over the Christmas party that took place on December the 18th last year, let alone the other parties that may have happened in his flat on November the 13th and indeed one that Gavin Williamson held too. So it's been a very difficult, uh, frankly disastrous day uh, and a lot of people are beginning to say this Prime Minister simply doesn't tell the truth. So, a press conference and the announcement of Plan B. And this, in my opinion, is all designed to cover up the fact that actually his Prime Ministership is now in very, very deep trouble. And what he's told us in the course of the last few minutes is because of the spread of this Omicron variant, and despite the fact that in other countries they're saying this is much, much milder than the Delta variant, despite all of this, we're to be told to wear face masks virtually everywhere. Vaccine passports are being introduced in this country, in England, for the first time in the history of our nation. You will not be able to go to a nightclub, you will not be able to attend a Premier League football game unless you can show that you have the vaccine passport. And almost unbelievably, in questions after his press conference, he said that we may need to have a national conversation about mandatory vaccination. I am absolutely astonished by that. I'm not surprised that the Germans and the Austrians and the European Union are going down that path. I never, ever believed in my life I would hear such a thing from a British Prime Minister. I think the press conference, the launch of Plan B, is perhaps the least conservative thing I've ever seen in my lifetime. Let's have a look at Boris Johnson just a few moments ago. We will reintroduce the guidance to work from home. Guidance to work from home. Employers should use the rest of the week to discuss working arrangements with their employees. But from Monday, you should work from home if you can. Go to work if you must, but work from home if you can. All right? I know this will be hard uh, for, uh, for many people, but by reducing your contacts in the workplace, you will help slow transmission. Second, from this Friday, we will further extend the legal requirement to wear a face mask to most, to most public indoor venues, including theatres and cinemas. There will be, of course, exceptions where it's not practical, such as when eating, drinking, exercising or singing. Third, we'll also make the NHS COVID pass mandatory for entry into nightclubs and venues where large crowds gather, including unseated indoor venues with more than 500 people, unseated outdoor venues with more than 4,000 people, and any venue with more than 10,000 people. The NHS COVID pass can still be obtained with two doses, but we will keep this under review as the boosters roll out. And having taken clinical advice since the emergence of Omicron, a negative lateral flow test will also be sufficient. Well, I wouldn't encourage you, of course, at any point in time to break down rules and laws that are set by the government. But as far as I'm concerned, Mr. Johnson, I'm not listening anymore. I don't believe you have the moral authority to lead this country uh, and to put in place such draconian measures. I've no intention 
of abiding by anything you've asked me to do this evening. And I think that sentiment is one that is now being much more widely shared around this country. Let's remind ourselves why this press conference took place, why the points he just laid out and the talk of perhaps compulsory vaccinations in our country at some point in the future. Let's remind ourselves why we're here. But I repeat, Mr Speaker, that I have been repeatedly assured since these allegations emerged that there was no party and that, and that no Covid rules were broken and that is what I have been repeatedly assured. But I have asked the Cabinet Secretary to establish all the facts and to report back as soon as possible. And, Mr Speaker, it goes without saying that if those rules were broken, then there will be disciplinary action for all those involved. Despite all the reports that up to 40 people parted in Number 10 Downing Street on December the 18th last year, there's the Prime Minister twice in front of the nation in the House of Commons saying there was no party. Yet, last night, there was this cringe-making video of Allegra Stratton acting as a spokesperson for the government. And this clip was obtained by ITV. And let's just see the mock game they were playing inside the press room four days after that party. Would the Prime Minister condone having a Christmas? <laughs> What's the answer? I don't know. I didn't Wasn't the party? It was cheese and wine. Clear it's not. <laughs> Is cheese and wine all right? No. It was a business no. meeting. <laughs> I'm joking. Oh, it's all so funny, isn't it? We've just ruined the Christmas for tens of millions of people. We've just condemned countless hundreds of thousands to never again being able to spend Christmas with mothers, fathers, grandmothers, grandparents, children. And yet they thought it was really, really funny. Well, now stories are coming out. And I have to say Dominic Cummings is helping in this, suggesting there was, in fact, a bit of a get together and a knees up in Boris Johnson's flat on November the 13th. Now, since that moment, Allegra Stratton has resigned. I understand the anger and frustration that people feel. To all of you who lost loved ones, who endured intolerable loneliness and who struggled with your businesses, I am truly sorry. And this afternoon, I am offering my resignation to the Prime Minister. Thanks for your time. So there we are. Allegra Stratton is deeply sorry because she's lost her job. This Prime Minister is, I believe, in some considerable trouble. You see, he started off telling the House of Commons that absolutely there was no way there'd been a party. But at the end of his presentation today, he was saying, well, whether there was or whether there was not um, a party uh, will have to be decided. Uh, he told us he'd been assured regularly uh, that this had not taken place, as if to shift the blame when the real story comes out onto somebody else. Oh, and he's going to ask the Cabinet Secretary to launch an investigation. Well, I tell you what, Mr Johnson, I'll save you the trouble. Just go into the room next door to you where people are working. Ask them, was there a party here on December the 18th last year? And while you're at it, you could go, couldn't you, to the security gate at the beginning of Downing Street because the police check in and check out everybody that goes up that narrow street to the doors of Number 10. And I say that because, very interesting today, some of our mainstream media don't think this is a story, and I do begin to wonder whether that is perhaps because some of their own representatives 
might have been present in number 10 Downing Street on that evening. I strongly suspect that they were. The best point I thought in PMQs today that was landed by the opposition leader, Sir Keir Starmer, he asked a question, does the Prime Minister have the moral authority to lead the country? And I personally don't think this Prime Minister has the moral authority to lead this country. And I'm very keen to get your views on this. So let me know, does he have the moral authority or not? And I say this above all because Boris Johnson's relationship with the truth has always been pretty loose. He's been very good in all forms of situations at just lying his way out of trouble. It's always served him incredibly well. But I don't believe that this time he can lie his way out of it. And if there are those in the media and those in number 10 who simply think because of the big diversionary tactic of putting in place draconian measures, plan B, through a press conference this evening, that somehow this is all going to go away. They are deluded. Do you agree with me that he's lost moral authority? GBviews at gbnews.uk or you can tweet at gbnews. Now, polling. How do you feel as a country on this? Really, really interesting. Snap polling suggesting that, you know, 54%, 54% actually want Boris Johnson to resign. A slightly higher figure wanted Allegra Stratton to resign. She has gone. And some other polling that came out minutes before we came on air, suggesting for the first time that in terms of general election voting intentions, that actually the Labour Party are now four points ahead. This is not a Westminster bubble story. This is not one of those stories that journos in bars in London talk about. This is something people are talking about in every pub up and down the land tonight because they feel they've been made fools of. They feel the arrogance of the elites is something they simply can't take. And they are disgusted that as their Christmases were absolutely ruined in London, in number 10, things were carrying on quite nicely. On my first day as an MEP, I was told lawmakers cannot be lawbreakers. And that's a point I'll come back to over the course of the next hour. Well, with me to explain the political fallout from all of this is GB News' political editor, Darren McCaffrey, who is there in Downing Street. Darren, good evening. Hello, Nigel. Hi, hi. So there's a, there's a small but vocal crowd of protesters at the other end of the street here in Downing Street uh, shouting no vaccine passports, it must be said. Yeah, and I have to say, Darren, I'm not in the least bit surprised by that. And uh, if this national conversation uh, takes us towards mandatory vaccination for all, I suspect those protests will get bigger. Now, am I being too cynical in saying that the Omicron variant has come along at a very convenient time and that the object of launching Plan B is to divert attention away from the Prime Minister's abysmal performance in the House of Commons today? I think in many regards, and it must be said, Boris Johnson was asked this question, wasn't he, during that press conference night, in which he said, well, you know, you could look at this the other way around, and if it delayed this press conference uh, because of the news today and that very difficult PMQs for the Prime Minister, yeah. then he would have been accused also of, of neg negating things. I, I think in the end, no is my answer ultimately to that. And why do I say that? Look at what's happening elsewhere in Europe. At the same time as Boris Johnson was standing up in Downing Street behind me announcing these measures, we're seeing very similar things being announced 
announced in Denmark, for example. We know, for example, nightclubs are going to close in France on Friday. These measures are being implemented in most of Western Europe, even Sweden, for example, in the last couple of days, announcing it is going to start introducing restrictions. Uh, and why is that? Well, it does seem, unfortunately so, that this new vari vari variant sorry, is at the very least a hell of a lot more transmissible. And the fear about that is even if it remains relatively mild, and even if actually the number of people who catch it are asymptomatic, uh, that if you get a really highly transmissible transmissible variant, you get an awful lot of people catching it all at the one time, and that means the very small percentage of people who do suffer from severe disease, they could well end up all in hospital at the same time. And that is the thought process, at least, from St. Patrick, uh, St. Patrick Valens and Chris Whitty in suggesting that that is why they think they need to act now. Is this all very politically tricky, though, Nigel, for the Prime Minister? My word it is. You should have heard the jeers in the House of Commons tonight when Sajid Javid, at the same time, was reiterating what the Prime Minister was saying. Lots of Conservative MPs not very happy about this. And you've got this twin problem now for Boris Johnson, where you've got the lockdown sceptic, MPs in his own party, very angry about vaccine passports, the talk, as you've picked up tonight, about not really now mandatory vaccines in this country, which the government has repeatedly done to date. And then the other swathe of MPs who are frankly pretty angry about how Boris Johnson has ended up getting the government yet again in a mess of its own creation. Uh, this bumpy ride is far from over. Right. Now, we're hearing news, Darren, that the Metropolitan Police are not going to investigate what happened in Downing Street on December the 18th because of lack of evidence, which perhaps the Prime Minister will take some cheer from. But you're there, Darren. You're down there in Downing Street. You're with the press pack. You're getting the gossip. This party did happen, didn't it? I mean, it, it seems uh, ridiculous to think that it didn't. I mean, you don't even have to be here to know that. I mean, you've got Simon Casey's launched an investigation into what? Well, it, it must be something, a party that may well have happened. Downing Street today said that he didn't attend uh, that event, as they brand it. So if he didn't attend it, well, then something must have happened for him not to attend it. And then you've also got Allegra Stratton having resigned over something that Downing Street have changed the tune on. I think they're now saying... Uh, that as far as they're aware, the rules weren't broken and the assurances that it didn't happen, uh, they've kind of taken at face value to a degree. And this is not just about what happened on the 18th, uh, Nigel, because we know the Prime Minister didn't attend that one. There are a whole lot of other allegations that there were potentially up to three other, as the Prime Minister referred to them repeatedly today, not as parties but events, that may well have happened in Downing Street in November and December that were frankly potentially against the rules, even suggestions that he himself may well have been there. And the Prime Minister is essentially forced to concede tonight that Simon Case, the Cabinet Secretary's investigation, may well look at those as well. Uh, so those questions, you know, remain. Uh, clearly, there's an awful lot of upset out there. Uh, you know, there are people really angry about this. People, and Keir Starmer actually very effectively pointed this out today, people who have lost loved ones, unable to see them either in hospital or in care homes over Christmas, who stuck by the rules and who do feel that it is one rule Absolutely. for them and one rule for the rest of us. And that is the political damage. I think that many Conservative MPs know that the Prime Minister, frankly, has somewhat inflicted on himself. And I say that because 
again, it's not necessarily about the party last year as bad as that is. It's also about what Downing Street have done over the past week, which is not be open and transparent, kicking, screaming wow. to get to this point. Well, and admit that and something may well have happened and that needs to be investigated. Yeah, and maybe not told the truth of the House of Commons. We'll see. Darren, thank you. Well, I'm joined now by the Conservative Member of Parliament for Wellingborough, Peter Bone. Peter, sometimes we get these rows that go on and they fascinate those of us that work in politics or media and we're in the London bubble and we think it's really important that so-and-so's been sacked and somebody else has been promoted. But you go to Wellingborough Market and nobody would give a damn. But I know you're one of those MPs that does go out and still knock on doors and meet people. Does this cut through? I don't know yet because last week when we were out campaigning, we go out every Saturday uh, morning to talk to people and campaign. It w there was it wasn't an issue, um, but of course, uh, like Mr. Cummings. Now, when Mr. Cummings clearly broke the rule, endangered people, and travelled with COVID up to, to Durham, there was a tsunami of complaints. Uh, at the moment, there are, I don't have anything like that. But it's early days. I, I think this settle will be very interesting. No, it will be, and certainly early snap polling is quite extraordinary. Yeah. It's early and it's yeah. snap polling, yeah. but, but the numbers themselves are quite extraordinary. And you know, Comres is a reputable polling oh, yeah, company yeah. and 54% of respondees thought he should resign. Yeah, I, I, well, I think you have to see how this plays out. I mean, the Prime Minister clearly says that he was advised that there wasn't a party and he accepted that. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, Peter. He definitively said last week in the House of Commons and at the start of his statement today, there was no party. And then starts to wheedle yeah, in but, a different but he, direction. But what I, I thought Sir Keir Starmer missed a point. He should have said, who advised you, Prime Minister? And then we'd have known where this was going. Now, if there's an investigation and people... I mean, I mean, there might well have been stupid spads who had a party who think they're above everything else, and they need to be dealt with. Um, but I think we've got to get to the bottom of that. I think the more serious problem for the, for the government is what's been announced only in the last hour or so about COVID. Well, they think that's their way out. <laughs> I mean, that's why he's done it, isn't it? This is all a big distraction. Well, I asked, if you, you know, an hour or a few hours ago when we thought this was going to happen, I asked some colleagues, and, and I am absolutely sure that it was actually something that was going to happen today. But the farce of it, of course, if it hasn't been announced in the, by a news conference, yeah. uh, with a statement in the House of Commons, which the, the government's forced to make, we should have a statement in the House of Commons. The Commons should debate the things and decide whether this is, this is going to happen. We're not actually going to decide on this until next Tuesday. I mean, that's absurd. No, it is. And Peter, he's not doing a very good job as leader, is he? Well, I'm going to, I, I, I listened to your piece, Nigel, and I saw where you were coming from in the beginning, but I, mm. I disagree in, look, Boris is popular, certainly in my constituency. Um, he, he took over a dysfunctional parliament. He won an election. He delivered Brexit. He had to deal with COVID, which he, you know, he kept the, the, the spirits of the nation up. We got the first vaccination in the world, saved millions of lives. The economy's doing well. And we're now, at long last, dealing with small votes. And today, the bill... Oh, really? The bill went through the House oh, of Parliament. Oh, we will look forward to that. We oh, no, come on. Let's give him a chance. If, uh, <laughs> you know... Tom Persco was out is, there we're on that point the today. Point is, the point is, Peter Bone, that he was there to do a job in 2019, and yeah. you could argue that job was done. And I, I wouldn't disagree with the points you made. The party was in an all sorts of yeah. a state, split, um, uh, in real trouble, and he did all of those things. But he's no use to you now, is he? 
Well, I'm not, I'm not sure about that at all. In fact, I, I think Boris... Uh, I, look, I think Boris is doing a good job and I think he can continue to do it. I think there are people plotting against him. I'm absolutely sure well, of that. I'm certain of that. And that happens in politics. Peter Bone, thank you. We're going to see you later on in the programme. Now, Margaret Thatcher, who is still somebody that Conservatives think is rather important, uh, she had a point, following on from my uh, earlier comment, that lawmakers must not be law breakers. This is what Margaret Thatcher said on this very subject of the rule of law. The first duty of government is to uphold the law. If it tries to bob and weave and duck around that duty when it's inconvenient, if government does that, then so will the governed. And then nothing is safe, not home, not liberty, not life itself. And that's kind of how I'm feeling this evening. I don't think this guy's got the moral authority to lead the country. Well, I'm joined now, I'm very pleased to say, by the former First Minister of Northern Ireland, Arlene Foster. Arlene, good evening. Good evening. Good evening, Nigel. Good to see you. The point, the point I'm making, and it's one that will be very well known to you, uh, that when you're in a position of making rules and making laws, you absolutely have to be seen to abide by them. Or why should anybody view what you do with anything other than contempt. So can I ask you, when you were First Minister, you know, and, and, and there were difficulties with COVID restrictions, what was the social life like in your office? Well, of course, we've already had our uh, Christmas party moment in Northern Ireland when the Deputy First Minister went to a huge uh, funeral for a former IRA man, Bobby Story, in West Belfast in, in June of last year when we were telling people to have very small funerals. I think at the time uh, you were only allowed 20 people at a funeral. She turns up at an enormous funeral. And that had a real problem then for messaging around COVID restrictions because up until then, compliance had been really, really good in Northern Ireland. People were abiding by the restrictions. They were going out of their way to protect themselves, their families and their loved ones. Uh, and then once that happened, uh, People said, well, hold on a second. How can we have one rule for the Deputy First Minister and one rule for everybody else? And it was hugely damaging, hugely damaging. Uh, and um, we had to try and limp along then to try and deal with COVID in Northern Ireland. And how, I mean, you know, you're somebody that's, that's, that's had to work with and deal with Boris Johnson. I mean, it seems pretty clear to everybody that an event of some kind took place in that building, 10 Downing Street, on the 18th of December last year, and about 40 people were in attendance. It was, to all intents and purposes, a party. Why didn't he just come to the House of Commons and say, yes, I've looked into it, it happened, it shouldn't have done, I'm taking disciplinary action? What is it about Boris Johnson and fessing up? Does he fear that somehow that would make him look weak? No, I don't think so. I think Darren's point about that was very good in terms of transparency. I think that is the key element of this now, because, of course, uh, the Barnard Castle uh, moment happened and uh, it dragged on for a period of time and was damaging uh, in terms of COVID messaging and, and credibility uh, and eventually had to be dealt with. Um, and I think that this, uh, again, is something um, that if he has been told by people that it wasn't a party, it didn't happen, um, then he will be wanting to ask very serious questions uh, about the people who told him that. But I thought it was interesting as well, and I think we should reflect on this, Nigel, when Allegra Stratton made her uh, tearful resignation earlier on today, 
she didn't say uh, that she was resigning because there was a party. She said she was resigning because of the comments that she had made on the video, uh, which were unacceptable, uh, of course. And that's why she was resigning. She did not confirm that there was a party. And as I understand it, um, Christopher Hope from the Daily Telegraph has, all, has also uh, received information that what happened was people brought in cheese and wine. They were at their desks. Is that a party? So we're going to get into this bizarre situation now of when is a party not a party. Um, and uh, that, to me, seems to be going down a rabbit hole because the Prime Minister, as you well know, Nigel, has other huge issues that he needs to deal with. You've already mentioned uh, with Sir Peter Bone one of those issues, migration and the Borders Bill, and the fact that we have a huge uh, asylum problem uh, on our shores, uh, and also the issues uh, um, on the Ukrainian border, the very real concern that's growing uh, about Russia and the aggression that has been shown there. And all the while, we're concentrating on when is a party not a party. I, I think it's bizarre. Yeah, well, and, but there isn't just that party, there are several others. I think, Arlene, either way, the truth is going to come out as to actually what happened yeah. and, who, and who attended. Unavoidably, it is going to happen. And as I said earlier, I'm quite curious that some of the national media uh, don't think there's any problem here at all. So we'll see. Finally, Arlene, a quick comment, please, if I can, from you, on the prospect of a national conversation on mandatory vaccination. I was really struck by that comment uh, from the Prime Minister. I, I couldn't actually believe he was saying it um, because you and I have been talking about Germany and about Austria and about how the European Union is moving in that direction. And that's simply something that couldn't happen here because it's so un-British and it's having a medical intervention forced on people that don't want it. Uh, and you know that I'm very pro-vaccine. I believe people should get the vaccination yeah. um, to try and stop the spread of COVID-19 and Omicron uh, variant and all the rest of that. But my goodness, we cannot move to a situation where we have mandatory vaccination. That would just be unheard of. And it reminds me of our colleague, Paul Embry, who says uh, things like, uh, you used to think that these things would never, ever be even discussed. Uh, yeah. And now... We're going to have a national conversation. <laughs> I know, Arlene. Thank you very much indeed for joining us here this evening and giving us your thoughts. Well, in a moment, we'll come back to this great debate. Has the Prime Minister lost moral authority? Are we worrying too much about the scale of the party? How much wine there was? How much cheese there was? Or is this really about, is the Prime Minister being truthful to the House of Commons? And I suspect, actually, that is the single most important point here. I think Keir Starmer was right to ask the question over the dispatch box today, does the Prime Minister have the moral authority to lead this country? Because I don't think he has. I've asked, though, for your reaction. Tony has come back to me and said, it's not just Boris, though. You can always tell when an MP is lying because their lips move. Oh, you cynic, you. Kate comes through on GB Views and says, a day to bury bad news with a news conference. Shame on him. He should do the right thing and resign. Well, I absolutely agree that the press conference, the Omicron variant, has been very convenient indeed. Maria says, absolutely not, no. He has lost everything, including Conservative support. He needs to be sacked. Well, of course, as you know, the procedure for that is that letters would go in to Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of the 1922 committee, but we've not heard much about that yet. Maureen says, definitely 
lost moral authority and is not fit to lead the country or make new laws. Christopher says, Boris has to go. Time to resist. No to forced vaccination. Well, as I said earlier, a couple of times already this evening, this is not one of those bubble stories in Westminster. This is cutting through right across the country. Goodness me, even Ant and Deck were talking about it last night. And I think people are really, really angry. And I think people just believe this Prime Minister finds it impossible to tell the truth. Now, joining me is Sean Worth, former special advisor to David Cameron, back in his early years as Prime Minister. Uh, Sean, good evening and welcome to GB News. Hello, Nigel. So, I mean, the atmosphere of number 10, the building, the way that it works, is it possible that up to 40 staffers could gather for cheese and wine and the Prime Minister or those in senior authority simply not know it had happened? Um, it's actually quite a big building. If when you, What you see when you see it on the television is that, that black door and a fairly small frontage, but it goes all the way back and there are big state rooms which are held for staff uh, gatherings. They're actually there for foreign dignitaries and receptions and things, but staff do have gatherings in them. So I could imagine there may have been a, some sort of staff gathering. I mean, and that's the debate, isn't it? At the moment, um, the Prime Minister has set up an inquiry to find out if it was a actual party, a gathering, you know, that went against the guidance. And Downing Street's line last night, well, there was there was no party. And now it's, um, we, didn't, we didn't break the guidance and there's going to be an investigation into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, OK, your description of number 10 as being rather like the TARDIS uh, in Doctor Who is very interesting. Uh, so it is possible that a large group could have gathered in one of the rooms, I, you know, and I'm, I get that point. But this doesn't need a cabinet secretary investigation. All Johnson needs to do is to call in a few of the people who work in the office next door and ask the question, isn't it? You could work out whether there was a party or not in about probably about 45 minutes if you just um, asked a few people who were there, what was it like, who went, what happened, uh, and then it's job done. I think that the government's probably just trying to buy a bit of time um, so they can get their, their story straight because, of course, last night the line was very clear. They said there was no party. Today, they're not denying that there was a party. They're saying there was some sort of gathering, but there'll be a full investigation because they don't believe that any rules were broken. And the prime minister himself was certainly not aware of any rules. And then this poor Allegra Stratton, as you've seen, has sort of rather been hung out to dry, uh, having to resign, in my view, completely needlessly. Um, but, yeah, that's the situation they're all in. It's, it's, well, a, it's a bit of a um, shower at the moment. Well, I mean, Boris Johnson actually paid tribute to Allegra Stratton. But come on, let's be honest, Sean. I mean, the sheer cynicism in which she and senior staffers were working out how they could bury the bad news of a party on December the 18th. I mean, can't you see why people are absolutely furious? I can, but what I would say is that, you know, even if you worked in a mortuary or, or one of the most, you know, serious places uh, to conduct work, you and your workmates would still have some sort of light-hearted um, discussion between you in private. I, I didn't see anything. When I, I watched the video, it was clearly a rehearsal. It was a private meeting between workmates rehearsing a press conference the next day. 
And Allegra Stratton didn't say that um, she was at this party. She actually said she wasn't even there. She didn't know what the line was. And she was laughing about she didn't know the line to take on this. Well, so the yeah. idea that <laughs> she's then had to do this tearful resignation just looks like something, you know, I, I think the worst bit of it for the government is it, it looks like something's wrong and somebody's resigned. Unfortunately, I think she's just been rather hung out to dry and allowed to resign. If there was any real leadership there, they'd tell her not to until they'd done the investigation and, and established the facts. Yeah, I mean, look, they were not wargaming how to deal with questions about a party if a party hadn't happened. I mean, that seems pretty mm. obvious to me. But to your point, to your really pertinent point about leadership, uh, you know, is Boris Johnson, is he fit to lead in the sense that does he now have the moral authority to lead or is it time for somebody else? Oh, I think it's too early to talk about other people. But I do what I do think is that after recent uh, issues with Owen Paterson, obviously there was that sleaze uh, scandal with Tories' second jobs. A lot of MPs were being asked to go out and defend the government's line on that and only for the Boris Johnson to then U-turn and sort of hang them out to dry. Now this is happening. We're, we're seeing quite a few MPs going public on Twitter saying they're very angry and upset about yeah. what Nottingham's doing. I think it's too early to suggest that there'll be some sort of leadership challenge. But if you were a conspiratorial thinker, you might think, well, let, let's look at next year. Um, we're going to have a, a difficult economy, as you know all about, um, inflation, cost of living, energy prices. We've got this sort of crisis to crisis sort of bumbling along and no real grip in number 10 about what to do with it. Um, the Tories aren't going to lose the next election because Labour aren't an effective opposition and, and, you know, they've collapsed in Scotland. So they're probably going to, he is probably going to win again if he's still there. So if somebody was really champing at the bit to um, get a, a shot at the Premiership, they may well want to um, get a whole load of um, disgruntled backbenchers together and, and try and encourage those letters in. But I think it's too early at the moment. Nope. OK. Sean Worth, thank you very much indeed for joining us and giving us your frank analysis and insight to what goes on and the sheer size of number 10 Downing Street. It looks minute, doesn't it, from the front. Remember, at the end of this show, it's Barrage the Farage. So any questions you want to put into me, I will endeavour to answer, having not read them first. And coming up next on Talking Pints, it's Peter Bone, MP for Wellingborough. He's back. And I should think, after the week he's had, he could probably do with a pint. It's that time again. The GB News pub is open. Pints have been poured. And I'm here with Conservative Member of Parliament from Wellingborough, Peter Bone. Peter, welcome Cheers. to Talking Pints. And I was thinking to myself, if anybody might be in need of a drink tonight, it might be a chap like you. Because it's been a rotten day. I've had a rotten day too. I've been up nearly all night watching the ashes. I, I like you, I'm a cricket fan, so I'm doing it because of the cricket score. One, four, seven, all out. You know, <laughs> I, I thought we'd be talking about the complete collapse of England's batting today. Uh, and then, of course, everything else. Is yeah, no, I know, I know. It, um, you, I mean, you, you know, South End boy, local yep. councillor, accountant. Uh, you've been in local politics for... Well, I mean, 45 years since you first started standing for election. So the Conservative Party has been just a huge part of your life. Yeah, I, I joined it when I was 15. And it's been, uh, uh, I think I've always been a Conservative. 
I'm not sure the party's always been conservative throughout that period. <laughs> so, you know, John Major days were, were quite fun trying. And, of course, the great debate and drive that happened to get Brexit. You did so much outside of Parliament, but within Parliament, I organised the big uh, rebellion with David Cameron yeah. and we got, we got the referendum. Then yeah. we campaigned together uh, with yeah. many others Absolutely. to win. And Absolutely. we did. What well, fantastic democracy at work. Was it, I mean, was, was becoming an MP, was this what the young Peter Bone, age 15, is this where you thought you were going with your life? Yeah, it was funny. I, I did, a, when I, I was actually living in Harlow at the time when I was 14, and I did a project of school on politics, and uh, they thought it was so good. They got a little bit of local c coverage. And I remember one of the local Harlow Gazette, I think, was, said that uh, Peter Bone has his eye on number 10. And I thought, gosh. And then I always wanted to do it from, from then. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a great honour and privilege. And... Uh, you know, even when there are difficult days, it's just it's just fantastic. To but it be took in you there. a long t it took you a long time yeah. to get there, didn't it? Well, uh, we have, yeah, Mr. Blair was about. Um, I, I actually, um, when I first tried to get into Parliament, I took on Neil Kinnock in Isloin, and I have the best Conservative vote ever there. Did you? Yes, I lost by thirty six thousand. <laughs> but you didn't do quite so well, did you? In Wellingborough, where you first stood in two thousand and one. And I, I just love this, you know, because uh, Bone, there he is, standing in Wellingborough. And what happens is Labour, <laughs> Labour still take it. And Bone said at the time, not only did I lose, however, but I turned Wellingborough into a relatively safe <laughs> Labour seat after 2001. I was beginning to wonder whether someone was trying to tell me something. <laughs> I like that comment. Yeah, that, I mean... Was, so was that a bit crushing, 2001? Well, we, we didn't campaign. We, we had an awful... Right. I listened to the Conservative Central Office and did what they said, and that's always a mistake. And then I said, no, come on. Ble say what you believe. Go out there and talk to the people. Listen to what they say, and then campaign on what they want you to campaign on, not what somebody else tells you. And since then, um, I got in by, what, 600 votes in the next election, and now I've got 18,000 of majority. So I actually do think that, you know, if you say what you believe and it's in tune with your electorate, you'll get elected. So now with a big majority, you don't have to work very hard. <laughs> you can do a second job and just take life easy, really, can't you? Well, I don't think I've ever had a second job. And we spend all our time going out campaigning. I mean, my job is in that place in, in Westminster and I love it. And, you know... Today we were dealing with modern-day slavery, something that I've been fighting against, and, and we, we got the government to move on that, so that, that was good. And, uh, you know, you were the first person to recognise the problem with the small boats, and mainstream media took ages oh, to yeah. catch up with it. Oh, yeah. But now we're, we're dealing... And we had this promise now that imminently, probably means next week, we're going to see um, moving away from the European Convention on Human Rights. Well, we have to do that if we, we're ever going to get people well, to leave this country. I, I've been arguing about Peterson since August 2019, when Priti Patel made her first tough statement on this. Yeah, stuck with the ECHR, we can't do anything about it. Now, I agree with that completely. But what does it mean? This, this is what interests me. Because, because of our first-past-the-post system, political parties are necessarily coalitions mm. within themselves. Mm. They have different wings. What, what does it mean to be a Conservative today? Because I... I did say at the top of the show, in response to what Boris Johnson had said at that press conference tonight, and, and Plan B being put into place, and even to even think of a national debate about mandatory vaccines, and I said at the top of the show that I felt that was the least conservative 
press conference I've ever seen in my life. And I, I put this to you, that you are sitting in the House of Commons for a party that is extending the size and scope of the state, that is increasing taxation to levels we've not seen for, well, before you were born. We are seeing a Conservative government uh, pursuing economic policies, particularly the net zero policies, that might benefit some of the giant multinationals, but actually are quite painful in many cases for ordinary folk on average incomes and small businesses. I mean, this just doesn't... It feels more like a sort of Liberal Democrat <laughs> Green government than it does a Conservative party. Well, putting up taxes and increasing public expenditure is not Conservative, and that's got to, that's got to order. Now, the government would tell you we've had to do this because of COVID. And, you know, they have a point. COVID... Who predicted COVID? But come on, the way out of this is actually to reduce taxation. Well, that's the classical conservative that's, argument. That's what Keith Joseph would have said. That's what Margaret Thatcher would have said. But this lot aren't saying that. Well, not, some of them are saying it, but not doing it. So that's the difference. So, yeah, I mean, we've, we've certainly got to get back on track on that. And I think we're doing, you know, if we, if we control the immigration, if we take the advantages of Brexit, we'll, we'll do fine. But COVID, I mean, what if, I mean, any prime minister would have been thrown off course. Yep. And I think, you're, I think you've been a little hard on Boris with the, the way he's handled the whole COVID thing. I mean, taking, getting that first vaccination, ignoring the European no. Union and doing no. that was a great no, success. No, 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 absolutely. And when he gets things right, I will praise him yeah. to the rafters. My big criticism from the start was allowing 18 million people to fly into this country from all over the world without a single one of them being tested, asked to quarantine for any period of time. And that just struck me as being complete madness. And we're told, well, he didn't want to do it because that would have been seen to, be, to, to have been xenophobic. Um, so, 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 which, incidentally, when Trump closed the borders, that was the accusation, that it was xenophobic. Uh, so, yeah, I have argued from the start that they got this wrong, and that, and that was very much at the heart of what I was saying. But it's a broader problem. You know, he's not really a conservative at all, is he, as a person? Well, I don't know. You, you know, in his days with the Telegraph and the Spectator, I, I think you would, you know, he, he, he was, was pretty good on that. He was writing to the audience. Well, I mean... He's a jobbing journalist. Well, let's face it, when it came down to Brexit... <laughs> I'm teasing you. No, he did come out. Yeah. And, and without his leader... It's important. It, it's, look... There were many different people who, who got... I mean, you probably did more than anybody else. But it was a coalition of he people, was, and I, he was really helpful. I that. was delighted that he did what he did. I mean, I do rather think that he joined the campaign a bit at sort of five minutes to midnight, but he did join, and it was important <laughs> that he did. I mean, some of us have been battling for longer. longer, longer and, yes. uh, and you were even saying nice things as a Conservative member of Parliament. He was saying nice things about UKIP back in yeah. 2013 or yeah, 14 I mean, or whatever it was. Look, how could UKIP grow up to the right of the Conservative Party. Well, that was because Mr Cameron was on this yeah. mad campaign to win Liberal Democrats. He'd forgotten that he had to be a Conservative That's first. The Guardian editorial wouldn't be nasty. <laughs> the same thing could happen again, couldn't it? There are some quite big flanks opening up here, particularly in terms of the relationship of the state to the individual. Yeah. And, you know, you've got Richard Tice out there with reform and, 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 and you've got Reclaim, of course, with Lawrence Fox. There is now a bit of a gap there, isn't there? Well, um, reform got, what, nearly 7% of the vote yeah. in the by-election. Yeah. That must be a wake-up call. Because we have to deliver for the voters that elected us. And if we don't do that, we will be kicked out, and that would be the right thing mm. to do. Now, we've got enough time. 
to get it right. Um, but low taxation, um, low public uh, expenditure, making sure that we control immigration, dealing with the Human Rights Act. If we do all those things, we'll be back on course. No, I think that's probably true. Now, when I look at the House of Commons and I look at, you know, PMQs and things over the years, you've kind of stood out a bit. Um, <laughs> a bit of an individualist. You know, got your own opinion. You're never going to be a minister because you're too nonconformist. <laughs> and that's great. Has the quality of MPs improved since 2019? Are there... Because there was a big new intake. Oh, yes. There was a, mm. there's a, I've met quite a few yeah. of your newer colleagues, and I think, this is interesting. They're not the stuck-up, stuffy, mm. land-owning, old Etonian, you know, let's keep the country as it is. I do see some room for optimism there. Yeah, I think the new intake's got lots of people who will say what they think mm. and what they stood for. And the great thing about it is they're not going to be told by these things called whips how to vote. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't elected for somebody else to tell me how to vote. I didn't work all those years to get elected. And, and that's the attitude of many of the people elected. Mm. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I've seen that. I like that. I'm not sure Labour's gone quite through that uh, process of getting some fresh new blood in, but it probably needs to quite badly, because we do need to have a proper contest in politics, yeah. a proper debate, and that matters for our democracy. Peter, you've been, as I say, you've been in elected office of varying kinds for the Conservatives since the late 1970s, and here you are. It's been a rotten blooming week. It's been a rotten blooming few weeks. It's been a particularly rotten day, <laughs> especially as a cricket fan. Is it still fun? Yeah, look... It I get absolutely buoyed up every time I go through the gates of the House of Do you? Absolutely. And I, some of my colleagues, I think, you look, how can I say this? Some of my colleagues are, don't seem to, ch don't have quite the same conviction and passion. I want Parliament to be a success. What people forget, they always think, oh, your government. Well, yes, it's a government that is Conservative. But I'm not part of the government. My job as a member of Parliament is to scrutinise what's going on and get our laws right, which we were doing earlier. On, on today. Yeah. And it's an immense privilege. I can go there and I can ask the Prime Minister the rudest question I want and he has to answer. And, and <laughs> quite often I have, actually. I think at one time I asked the Prime Minister to resign at PMQs. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, what a privilege that is. Well, and, I, and the fact that people, uh, you know, will, will contact me and tell me their concerns is great. Peter Bone, thank you for joining us on Talking Cheers. Pints. Well, we need more people like Peter Bone in Parliament who say what they actually think. Well, it's the end of the show on what has been quite a dramatic day in British politics, but it's not over yet, believe you me. And it's time for Barrage the Farage, where you send your questions in and I do not get previous sight of them. And some of them are quite tricky, so I've kept Bone here to help me, just in case I'm in trouble. Dave asks me on Twitter, do you have any advice for Boris in his moment of crisis? I do, but I'm not sure he'll follow it. Tell the truth. You must know that party took place, so stop denying it. But it's too late now because he's told the House of Commons there was no party. Did it last week, did it this week. And in the end, that is going to be the most serious aspect of this great row. It's often, it's not the act itself. It is the attempt to cover it up. And you cannot tell porcupines to the House of Commons. We'll see where this goes. Gareth asks, if you had an invite to the number 10 Christmas party and COVID didn't exist, would you go? Peter, you clearly weren't invited last year <laughs> on the 18th of December. No, I, I, I don't think I've ever been invited to the party at number 10. I best the 
one of the best parties we went to was with you after the first go round. We went <laughs> yeah. to that restaurant and you were seeing Molly Malone with a turned up chair. That was a good party. Uh, cut, 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 <laughs> cut. Yes, and, and you wouldn't eat. You wouldn't eat Indian. Food. That's correct. <laughs> you only like English food. Well, I'm very traditional. <laughs> I got him back anyway. Matt asks, why is no one even suggesting that China should pay towards this global pandemic? Oh, we can't be nasty to China. They're much too important for our trade and our business and our economy. And we wouldn't want to upset Stanley Johnson, the prime minister's dad now, would we? Someone on Twitter asks, can you be prime minister, please? Well, no, I'm afraid not, because we don't have an open primary system like America, where a real estate guy from New York can come in and become, you know, the nominee for the uh, Republican Party. Uh, and the current Tory party wouldn't have me, would they, Peter? Well, I, personally, <laughs> I think you should be in... I think, I've always argued you, see, you should be in the Lords. You see, he's confirmed it. They wouldn't even want me. They'd probably see me as being even more insubordinate than people like <laughs> Not uh, possible. Which I probably would be. <laughs> um, and generally, a bit of an all-round nuisance. Final question. Do you see Boris surviving to the end of this Parliament? Uh, not really, I have to say. Doesn't look to me like he's enjoying it very much. That's all for today.